Good morning. We will be looking at a portion of Matthew chapter 3, but our main text we're going to pull from Luke chapter 3. So if you want to go ahead and turn to chapter 3 of Luke. We're going to be looking at an event, the baptism of Jesus. And what we're going to be considering through this story is the idea of holiness and the Holy Spirit. And when we think of holiness, we want to, uh, all through this text, look for uh, the ideas of sincerity and humility. So holiness is this idea of being set apart for a purpose or dedicated for a purpose. Dedication that requires sincerity and humility. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come together today and look into it. I ask that any ideas I have of my own will be forgotten. I won't even speak them. And that what you want us to see today from your word would be the the thing that stands out. Help me to speak truth and to honor your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter 3. The first two verses give us some context. There's lots of names and locations here. The main thing we want to understand from these first two verses today is that our time period that we're going to be looking at is about 30 years into Jesus' life. And verse 2 there says, The word of God came to John, son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Matthew would tell us that he says, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, baptism itself was an idea familiar to the Jewish people. They, they understood baptism as uh, perhaps a cleansing ritual that they, they would use. But also they understood it as a way for pagans, uh, uh, Gentiles, people who were not of Jewish descent, to be converted into Judaism. They would be baptized, they would be submerged and, and convert to Judaism. But this idea of repentance was a newer concept to them, and it was not well received by many of them, as we'll see as we read on. What is repentance? A few of our Bible scholars may say repentance is a, a change of direction. That's a good answer. It's a change of attitude and a change in our actions. And we hear many verses throughout the Scripture that talk about repentance, that we need to repent and believe, right? And sometimes uh, we may wonder the gospel that we now preach today, we hear uh, that we simply need to, to believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's true. But to believe in the Lord Jesus is to turn to Him. And we cannot turn to anything or anyone without turning from something. 
So this idea of repentance is not a second step. It's not a separate step from belief. They are indeed together. To repent, to turn from something, we must turn to something. John is now emphasizing this repentance, a change of attitude and action. Why? Matthew says the king, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you can't have a kingdom without a king. Otherwise, it would just be a dumb. And you can't have a king without a kingdom or he would just be a person. So in the person of Jesus Christ coming, soon coming, the kingdom of heaven was near. Verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. For hundreds of years, at least 400 years, the Jewish people had been looking forward to one that would cry out in the wilderness and, and, and beckon in and prepare the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist, or uh, perhaps a better name for him would be John the Baptizer, would be a better understanding of the Greek that wouldn't uh, confuse us with some denominations today that called the Baptists. This, John was not the first the founding member of the Baptist Church. He was not. He was the, a baptizer. And it was a very, a very signifying attribute of his because people were not going around being baptizers. Again, this was uh, un, uh, familiar, the idea of baptism, but it wasn't something that people did uh, regularly and certainly not for the Jews and certainly not for repentance. So John is known as the baptizer. And he was indeed that one crying out in the wilderness. How do we know that? Most simply, we know it because Jesus told us that. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, Jesus is talking to the multitudes concerning John, and he says, This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. So how is the Lord's way being prepared? We read here, uh, His paths are being made straight, His valleys are being filled, mountains are being brought low. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. John's contribution to the, to the preparation of the coming of the Messiah is preparing hearts to receive him. He is calling people to repentance, to recognize that uh, they needed a savior and that they were not uh, going to skate by on the fact that they were Jewish. We'll hear a little bit more about that in a few minutes. When kings sometimes would enter a city, uh, someone would go before them and they would smooth out the road. So there, there is some sense in which these, these valleys being filled and these hills being brought low, low were, were a picture of literal uh, smooth transition and preparation for the Messiah. But as we'll see from some of the, the, the people, their response to this call to repentance, there were those who were very proud, confident in their Jewishness. 
that needed to be brought low and needed to be brought to repentance. And there were those, the the Gentiles who were not Jewish or even the non-elite that would now have, through Christ, equal footing, equal access, right? This is a leveling of the playing field, that it's no longer a matter of what family or what lineage you were born into, but that all flesh is now given equal access to repentance. The way of the Messiah was being prepared. Now in Matthew chapter 3, we have a little, uh, a little description of John. It says he was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan came out to him. And they were baptized in the Jordan, confessing their sins. John was not... He did not fit the cultural standard of of who you might consider to be uh, a priest. Right? John was born into priesthood. He was the son of Zacharias. But he left that priesthood to go out into the wilderness and become a prophet for God. In, in, that, math, uh, in that chapter 11 of Matthew, where Jesus says that John was the one who would come before him, he also says, of John, what did you go out to see? Did you, did, to, these people that were gathering around to see John and hear his message, well, why did you go out there? Was it to see a reed shaken in the wind? Someone that is simply swaying around and whatever's popular at that time going with the flow, right? There's lots of philosophers today uh, that are simply regurgitating the most popular ideas of today. There's no absolute right and wrong, right? These ideas that people just like to get on the bandwagon and, and, and go with the flow. The quickest way to build an audience is to tell people what they want to hear, Right? But John was not a reed swaying in the wind. And he certainly didn't have uh, an alluring attire. As Jesus also said, you got to see someone in fancy clothes. No, he's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He's very counter-cultural. Not interested in what people may think of him on the outside, but more interested in, in proclaiming the true message that he was set to proclaim of repentance, something that takes sincerity and for many of these people that would hear the message, a tremendous measure of humility with which they were not familiar. Now it says they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Confessing. The, uh, the, the, the Greek language here implies a continual process. Confession even even this idea of before, during, and after, that this baptism was was a symbol of of a new attitude and a change that had taken place in their life. And that attitude is more than lip service, more than simply saying, uh, all right, I confess my sins, baptize me. No, it would be proven by a change in their attitude and a change in their actions. It would be proven by their fruit. John will talk about that more. 
to the crowds that came out to him. In verse 7 now. He said to the multitudes, Matthew tells us that there are many Pharisees and Sadducees there, that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So here are at least the Pharisees and Sadducees and perhaps other uh, people who lacked a genuine repentance. Why did they come out? They came out to be baptized. And yet they weren't repentant. Maybe they wanted, that uh, they saw these, these crowds of people and in, in fear of losing their position of authority. Um, and the people loved this prophet John. We'll see that elsewhere in scripture. They loved John. They believed John. Uh, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, perhaps not wanting to have the, the multitudes think less of them, came out to participate in the baptism. But they were not repentant. They were there, but not sincere. For many of us, that is, unfortunately, our, our Christian Christian walk, right? We participate. We're here, but not sincere. We, we maybe come, maybe just in, in the sense of church, right? We show up, we you know, make face, we confess our sins, and we go about our life unchanged and unrepentant. But in verse 8, he says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Having Abraham as their father, God had given a great uh, and powerful, uh, great and powerful promises to Abraham and his, his children and his lineage. And many people relied on that. They trusted in that. That Abraham is our father, and so the promises that were given to him are passed down to us. That's all it takes is our lineage and our, our father Abraham. And there were a great number of promises and blessing and protection given to the Jewish people. But in terms of drawing close to the Messiah and receiving that salvation, being a child of Abraham was as beneficial as being a rock. Now, Paul will talk about they, they had tremendous benefits. Right? They received the oracles of God. The prophets came to them. They have tremendous advantage from being a Jew, but not in the acquisition or the gaining of salvation. And why was that? It was because of their lack of fruit. They did not have a change in lifestyle from a confession of their sins. They were not sincere. They lacked Humility. They were not interested in true holiness. And so what does he say to these people? He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you plant a fruit tree and it doesn't bear fruit, you get rid of it. It's cut down and thrown into the fire. And these people were being fruitless, useless. So there were some there 
who were ready to repent. They were interested. They, they were sincere. They were coming humbly, recognizing, yes, baptism has been for Gentiles to convert them to Judaism. But now we recognize we need to confess our sins. We need to go through this cleansing, this representation of our, our new confession and understanding. And so they have, there's three types of people that ask him questions. In verse 10, the, the people, the general population, they say, what shall we do? And he says to them, he who has two tunics, This is the, the, the undergarment used for warmth. Let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. And the tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. The soldiers asked him, saying, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So he warns these Pharisees and Sadducees, you need to produce fruit worthy of repentance. Produce fruit that is an evidence of your repentance. And now we have questions that give us examples of that type of fruit. We're told to be compassionate and generous with the things that we have to be fair and have a good relationship with money right the tax collectors were able to simply impose additional taxes on people for expenses that they decided to include or to be kind and honest and grateful as these soldiers right they had so much authority and power and the ability to um, manipulate and bully But no, even because it's very easy to be kind and honest and humble when you're weak and helpless, right? So who does he tell to be kind and honest and humble? Soldiers. We're to be fruitful, not acting in our own interests, but sincerely and humbly Seeking holiness to be different, to be set apart, to act differently. So John gives these answers to the people. And in verse 15, they were all in expectation. And they reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And John answers them saying, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. These people were expecting a Messiah. Many of them would be familiar with the prophecies about a coming Messiah. And now here is John proclaiming a coming Messiah, proclaiming a new baptism, speaking of fruit, and they begin to wonder, is he, is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And John answers them, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's someone coming who I'm not even worthy to untie or to carry his sandals. Now, the rabbis of that time would tell uh, disciples and their masters, those who were learning from someone, that you, you should treat your master as if you were a slave, except 
you shouldn't have to take off their sandals. That's a little too dirty. It's a little too low. So treat your masters like, like as if they were an owner and you were a slave, but you don't have to go so far as to take their sandals off. What does John say? I'm not even worthy to take his sandals off, right? The, the filthiest, lowest, dirtiest job that they were warned to not even participate in. He's not even worthy to do that of this person who's coming. And why? Because he doesn't baptize with water. No, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there may be some confusion at times about the Holy Spirit and fire. Uh, sometimes you, again, our Bible scholars may think to uh, the, the book of Acts when um, the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the disciples and there are... Uh, Tongues like fire upon them. Um, but I think in the context of this passage, first of all, we can assume that it is a more literal fire than something that is like fire. And before this, we read that uh, fruitless trees will be cut down and thrown into a fire. This is a judgmental fire for those who do not bear fruit. And as we'll see in verse 17, right? His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So I personally don't want to be baptized with fire. You may understand that, that differently, but the context seems to be uh, a judgmental fire that uh, does not come with the Holy Spirit, but indeed is up to you to, to repent and be baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, or with this fire that would then come when Christ's judgment is finalized. We're called to repent, to be holy, to be sincere and humble in our desire for holiness so that we might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. With many other exhortations, he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. So Herod... Um, there were, there were two men named Herod brothers and one of them divorced his wife so he could marry his brother's wife. And John didn't let that slide. John had called him out on it. So another story, Herod has him thrown in prison and eventually killed. Why are these verses here? This is because this marks the end of John's ministry. That's how John's ministry ends. He's thrown in prison and eventually beheaded. And so now in verse 21, this is not chronological, but rather this is two separate ministries, right? Uh, when all the people were baptized, verse 21, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Now, he, John didn't baptize him from prison, but no, Luke is showing us this distinct mark. All right, John's ministry is concluded. Now we're going to start the story of how Jesus begins his ministry, which includes John. The focus then is now looking at Christ. This is no longer a story about John. So Jesus comes to be baptized by John. And Matthew now has a little insight as to what happens in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 3. I'll read it for you. We're going to stay in Luke for the most part. 
John tries to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Now, did John have a full picture, a full understanding of the, the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God, the, the Son of God here? Well, he does eventually, right? He declares this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But John gives us insight. He tells us in um, John chapter 1, verse 31, he says, I did not know him. I knew he was going to be revealed to Israel, so I came baptizing people. But I saw the Spirit descending on him from heaven. This hasn't happened in our story yet. Like a dove. And it remained upon him. Let's clarify. He says again, I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water. Remember at the start it said, uh, the word of God came to John. He says, I did not know. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So now John had some idea of who Jesus was, right? They grew up together. Now, John was very separate, right? John lived in the wilderness. He grew up in the wilderness. I don't know at what age he started living in the wilderness. I imagine he had a few years with his family, but he was very separate. He didn't necessarily spend every day with Jesus, but he knew enough about Jesus to know that he was a sinless man and uh, he was called the son of God and he may very well have expected this to be the Messiah. But when he, when he approaches him, he says, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. He doesn't call him the Lamb of God. He doesn't call him the Messiah, but he recognizes this is a baptism for repentance of sins. You don't have any sins to repent from. I do. You should be baptizing me. So Jesus says to him, Permit it to be so for now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. This is still in Matthew, if, you, if you're not finding it in Luke, sorry. There's two verses that we're, the last two verses we're reading from Matthew there, that he's um, doing this for all righteousness, coming up immediately out of the water. So Jesus says, let us, let it be so for now that we can fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? That is the, I think, central phrase in this passage. We can also assume that because it's the thing that Jesus says. It's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. How does his baptism fulfill all righteousness? Well, John came preaching uh, that all should repent and be baptized. Did Jesus need to repent? No. But Jesus wanted to obey this greatest prophet of God. He also wanted to identify with sinful man. All right, So Jesus comes now to... To be fully human, to perform everything that a man would need to perform in the court of God. So identifying himself with his creation. Can you picture, can you imagine this sinless creating God approaching John? Although he is the greatest man that has ever lived, according to Jesus, he was the greatest man ever born of, born of women, which only makes his competition Jesus and maybe Adam. But still a sinner, perhaps through a crowd of sinners, the perfect, sinless, doesn't need to be baptized, humbly and sincerely 
coming for that baptism. Jesus was focused on holiness. Baptism is the alignment of oneself and the declaration of of being in line with God's kingdom and God's purposes. For everyone except Jesus, that requires repentance. Right? So Jesus was indeed aligning himself with the kingdom of heaven and God's causes, but did not need to repent. But it was still a public declaration of his purpose, his plan. Now, we can also read in Exodus 29, it talks about how priests begin their ministry. And typically their ministries would start uh, at, a, at the youngest, maybe around age 30. What would they do? They would be washed for cleansing and then anointed to begin their ministry. So Jesus comes around the age of 30, ready to begin his ministry, ready to become our priest. aligning himself in baptism with the purposes of God and the kingdom, a symbolic reference to the cleansing that all priests went through. And we'll see in a moment his anointing that comes as he rises out of the water. And of course, this baptism would also foreshadow his death and resurrection. And as he comes up out of the water, verse 21 now, we're finishing the second half of verse 21 in chapter 3 of Luke. So Herod had shut John up in prison. The people were baptized. Jesus came to be baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven or the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. This anointing of the Holy Spirit, a symbolic anointing, right? Did Jesus already have the Spirit of God? He did. But now we have a visible coronation, a a, a coming, a calling of God's Son and King. Old Testament references to this in Psalm 2, chapter, or 2, verse 7. It says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. And Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit upon him. And so now Jesus comes up from the water. The Holy Spirit in form of a dove, like a dove. And the Lord, the voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Now this righteousness that is being fulfilled, Jesus is connecting this baptism, this coming down, this anointing of the Holy Spirit symbolically to this water baptism, right? Jesus already had the spirit. Jesus didn't need to repent. These were both pictures for us. He's connecting Right as, as I am going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, symbolized here in this water, now for us, for all those who believe in Christ, when we receive that Holy Spirit, when we are, are, as we'll look at in a moment, baptized in the Holy Spirit, now we symbolize that reality with our water baptism. Right? Jesus identifies with us 
so that we can identify with Him in our baptism. To declare our, uh, ourselves as recipients of the Holy Spirit. But it takes a sincere and humble approach. A repentant approach. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. There are those out there who would distinguish this event from salvation. Many who would say uh, there are references to baptism of the Holy Spirit causing people to speak in tongues. So that's what it means. If you receive baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. But what is the scripture? What's the whole picture of the scripture? What does it say? We're going to look at just a couple verses here. And you don't have to flip around. Uh, You can. You can try and keep up if you like. Um, But I'm just going to read a few. I'm going to give you this picture of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were baptized into the body, into one body. Okay, Some of them say we are, we are baptized into one body, but the, 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 the focus is that it's one body. One spirit, we were baptized into one body. What is that body? The body is those who have believed in Christ, the body of Christ, the body of believers. We were baptized by the Spirit into that body. That is salvation. That is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Baptized into one body. And what does Jesus say? He says, if I don't go away, the Comforter, which is the name for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Okay. So there is a measure in which believers had a spirit a uh, spirit of God, but the comforter in his role and function and purpose uh, as the Holy Spirit that we know today, God, Jesus was going to send him when he left. When does that happen? Acts 1 verse 9, Jesus ascends. He goes. The next chapter, the day of Pentecost, there's a miraculous filling of the Holy Spirit that marks or commemorates or proves or symbolizes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is when uh, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends like fire, empowering the believers there to begin the spread of the church, right? Now, that is not when they received salvation. They had already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this miraculous, uh, uh, easy to see, big, bold moment marks and declares the coming of the Holy Spirit in his function now to baptize us with, at salvation. And so what does Peter say? The same chapter, Acts 2, uh, verse 38. He says, repent, right? Repent and believe and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something uh, where you, you repent and you're baptized. You're a Christian and then at some point maybe... If, if you pray the right thing or do the right thing, maybe you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. No, he says, repent and be baptized, okay? And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. There's no instructions in between. There's no steps to take. It is the repentance where we, we, we align ourselves. We, we, we're sincerely and humbly desiring holiness, accepting Christ, that that Holy Spirit comes to us. And then just as Jesus shows us, we give this picture that we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we are baptized just like Jesus did to show 
this baptism of the Holy Spirit outwardly. Romans 8, 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not His. We're not waiting to receive the Spirit. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we're not waiting to receive the Spirit. We're not, we don't belong to Him unless we have the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also... Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You can't be sealed with the Holy Spirit without it. Right? You can't be sealed with the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. Salvation is when we receive the Holy Spirit. Now that baptism, right? We were, we were buried in the likeness of His death, right? That's, that's what His baptism symbolizes for us the baptism of the holy spirit now coming to us it gives us life and it also makes us uh, uh, uh givers of life givers of that message john seven thirty eight. he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water he spoke this concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive now we can quench that spirit Right? We can have that Holy Spirit and we can live in a way that is not sincere and humble and, and the Scripture says we can quench that Spirit. Can God overrule our quenching and pour out powerful uh, measures of the Spirit? Absolutely. But this continual, humble sincerity, this true desire for holiness in our lives, to honor Christ, is where... The Holy Spirit does its work. Now, we were already baptized in the Holy Spirit. But what we'll see throughout the New Testament, we'll close very quickly here. What we'll see throughout the New Testament is uh, continual fillings of the Holy Spirit, right? This is not a new baptism. This is not a new reception of salvation. But it is rather um, greater measures of the Spirit functioning in our lives, right? We need more and more of the Spirit each day. We don't. Uh, simply get our dosage and forget about it. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit for salvation when we, we accept Christ and repent. But then the Holy Spirit continues to flow into our lives. Now, some people would say, uh, again, where do, when is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You could even think of baptism of the Holy Spirit as a continual action, right? The, the filling of the Holy Spirit, you think about a vessel being filled. When it's overflowing, what happens? It is immersed. Right? It's totally covered. There is a sense in which our baptism is an is a ongoing act of the Holy Spirit that we can either quench or we can be sincere and humble and experience more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I know I desperately need more of the Holy Spirit in my life every day. I never wake up and say, I'm good. I've got enough. I maybe act that way. I never think that way. Now, Jesus also uses this. This is the last thing we'll look at. Mark 11. Because this story is the introduction of Jesus, the Son of God, the King, the Messiah. Mark 11. You can turn to this one if you'd like. Mark 11, starting in verse 27. 
they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, he being Jesus, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one question. Then answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say it's from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? Right? So if John's prophecies were truly from heaven and if those that saw the heavens open and the, the, the Holy Spirit descend on him. If that was a real event, why don't you believe everything John was saying about this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world? Why don't you believe him? Verse 32, but if we say it's from men, they feared the people because everyone thought John was a prophet indeed. So the people, uh, at least the general multitudes here, believed that John was a prophet. So for them to say John was a fraud, the baptism was just of a man. They feared the people. They were afraid of a riot or, or losing their position. So they said to Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus basically saying, if you don't get it, what else can I say? The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of a one coming in the wilderness, declaring the Messiah, making his way ready leveling the playing field, access to Gentiles and Jews through sincere, humble repentance, seeking holiness. The heavens open up. The Spirit descends. He is declared the Lamb of God to begin His ministry. And they say, so wait a minute. Who are you? And why are you doing this? Why are you doing these things? So He says, if you don't, if, if, if you can't answer my question, then I'm not going to even bother telling you by what authority I do these things. It has already been declared and that voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so that is our example and our call. That we would be sincere and humble and recognize our need for a savior. Our need to repent. Our lifelessness, our deadness without the Holy Spirit. To recognize that Christ's sinless perfection, being baptized without a need for repentance, uh, being anointed in the Holy Spirit, although already being, uh, being God himself and having the Spirit of Christ, setting this example for us that we can then follow, that we can now be baptized in the Holy Spirit by accepting that sacrifice from Christ, uh, joining with him in, in the symbol of his death in baptism and resurrection, the symbol of baptism of the Spirit, to live a life now guided and empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. That is the call for us. The call for those who are already believers now is to be continual in our sincerity and in our humility. Right? Not to be complacent and have the Holy Spirit as a check mark, but to desperately seek the filling of the Holy Spirit each day. Those events in the New Testament, over and over, they were filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. They weren't getting, receiving it for the first time anymore, but they were filled over and over and over. And that's what we want. That's what we need each day and each moment. Let's close in a word of prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being so humble to be an example for us. We want more of your Holy Spirit. We want a greater display of your Holy Spirit. We have it. We thank you for that. Those who have believed in Christ as their Savior, we thank you for that Holy Spirit. Help us to yield to the Holy Spirit, not to quench it. That each day we would recognize our growing responsibility and growing need for more of the Holy Spirit. That we would pray for ourselves and for others that we would receive more and more of the Holy Spirit. And for those who don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior, that they would recognize their dead state and their desperate need for uh, the Holy Spirit in their own lives and trust in Christ Jesus. Help this to change the way we think and change the way we act in our day-to-day lives, that we would be humble and sincere. Keep us safe today as we head uh, back to our homes and protect us until the next time that we're able to come together. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.